Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I can still remember when I first started hearing people talk about Elizabeth Warren. It was about a decade ago when she was explaining the financial crisis to anyone who would listen, including John Stewart on The Daily Show. Do the banks think they've done anything wrong? You should ask the banks. <laughs> this is when Slate's Dahlia Lithwick started noticing Warren, too. That's when I remember thinking, this is a person who's doing something different. And um, if you recall, like, she was very charming. Every 10 to 15 years, there's a financial panic in our history. You just look at it. And there's a big collapse, big trouble. People lose their farms, wiped out. Until we hit the Great Depression. We come out of the Great Depression and you say, you know, we can do better than this. We don't. Have it's to just this kind of almost affectless, down-to-business. I mean, I just, I remember being so struck by how she could render a late-night host speechless. You know, like somebody who's paid to be funny and charming just by being like, look, this is all you need to know. And suddenly the whole world understood financial misconduct. That is the first time in probably six months to a year that I felt better. Oh, Something, I don't know what it is that you just did right there, but for a second, that was like financial chicken soup for me. That was... Back then, Elizabeth Warren was still a law professor with a page boy haircut. She hadn't run for Senate yet. She'd just been appointed to a congressional panel that was overseeing the big banks after the financial crisis. She approached this job like the elementary school teacher she'd once been. And it's a mode that in other people would get classed as kind of a scold or a shrew or a harridan, but it never ever came across that way to me. Dahlia says, if you want to understand Elizabeth Warren, the presidential candidate, you need to understand that this explainer mode, this mode she's been in since the beginning, this is her default setting. Hello, Iowa Democrats! And if you follow Warren around on the campaign trail, which Dahlia's been doing, this instinct for explaining, for teaching, this is how she's connecting I've had ambitions, job ambitions, since I was in second grade. I've known what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a public school teacher. Can we hear it for America? She's a teacher, Warren. Like, first and foremost, what she wants people to do is not have this deep, intense emotional reaction. That can come or not come. But she wants you to walk away from her rally saying, I understand these six things that I didn't understand. And let me tell you about teachers. We understand the worth of every single human being. We understand about investing in the future, and we never give up. At an Elizabeth Warren rally, Elizabeth Warren is almost beside the point. And she was just explaining in such a way that people walking out were talking about the policies more than Warren. But this approach, it left Talia with this question. 
Is this how a candidate wins? And so that's the ambivalence. So she wrote about it. The reason I wanted to write this piece was to sort of penetrate that, like just to right full on enter that ambivalence. That said, that also isn't the end of the story, because what I came to after watching her and after listening to women who watched her, which is more interesting than me watching her, is that she's doing something totally different. Today on the show, if Elizabeth Warren is a different kind of presidential candidate, is America ready for that? And would Dolly and I be giving her the same kind of scrutiny if she were a guy? I'm Mary Harris. You are listening to What Next. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Dahlia wanted to see Elizabeth Warren in action so she could evaluate for herself how Warren's campaign to be explainer-in-chief was going. And if you're hoping Warren's going to charm you, Dahlia says you are already missing the point. Because this campaign, it's a joyful ode to policymaking. Because of who Warren is, that in itself is disruptive. Dolly explains it this way. Women are often told they react emotionally to candidates, while men are meant to admire and appreciate complex policy. Warren is flipping that script. But for all that, Dahlia was a little wary of writing about Warren at all. I came to the story, and I was pretty upfront about it, thinking, we'll never elect a woman in my lifetime. That has been my posture for, you know, two and a half years. I've just said, since... Hillary Clinton got defeated for being what? Shrill, not warm, corrupt. I mean, the kinds of things that are from Chaucer. I mean, tropes about women that are so freaking antiquated. Put aside Comey and put aside the emails and put aside Benghazi. She's just not likable. She's just a know-it-all. Like, that stuff is crazy-making. And so my thought was, no woman can ever thread this needle. And by the way, and this is not a point that's original to me, we love these women, right? When Hillary Clinton put her hat into the ring, everybody said, oh, I wish Elizabeth Warren was running. Hmm. You know, she's better. If she were running, I would be because she's, she's you know, Hillary but better. And now here's Elizabeth Warren. It's like, oh, man. And I wish some other woman was running. And so I think we love these prominent women until they ask us to elect them and then we don't love them anymore. And so I came to it complicated largely because I kept listening to these conversations about electability, right? And who is electable and who is charismatic and what does it mean? And then I think, you know, working with Susan Matthews on the piece as we edited it over three weeks, which we did, <laughs> one of the things she kept pushing me on is how gendered my ideas about electability were. You mentioned Susan Matthews, who's an editor here at Slate. Tell me a little bit about the process you guys had. She edits most of my copy now. And she, I think, very much wanted, when we talked about this piece, she was the one who said, you should go write this. And I said, I'm not a campaign person. I'm a, you know, I sit in courtrooms, go away. Um, And then she, like, 
put me on a plane and I had no choice. But uh, she was the one who every time I got stuck. So like the original pitch was, oh, my God, Elizabeth Warren is the most charismatic person in the world and nobody knows it. And then I went out to the stump and I texted her. I was like, oh, she's not that charismatic. Susan was <laughs> the one who's like, write that. And then I was like. I'm writing this and I don't think a woman can get elected. And she's like, well, then write that. So she was the one who we built it like Russian dolls. This piece, you know, where every time I came to a roadblock and wanted to like slink back to Supreme Court reporting, she'd say, push through that. What is that? Hmm. You know, when I walked around the crowd and talked to people, what they wanted to say to me wasn't, oh, she makes my heart beat faster. That came. But what they all wanted to talk about was, huh, it's so weird. Why is it that, you know, big aeronautics companies get to be involved in the government conversation about what planes were flying? I mean, I think like this was all stuff she had put in their ear. And I think this was a thing that Bill Clinton was good at, too. This educative function, that government is complicated and you're not electing somebody you have a crush on. You're electing somebody who's going to fix the broken things. And in order to fix them, I have to explain how they're meant to work. That's a huge leap. And so for me, I think what was shocking was, and again, this is something that I had to push myself on. Why is it that I have come of age in a time where I believe that, you know, like the boy commercials or the and the girl commercials are like, and I always thought (laughs) commercials for women were more of the sort of Barbie beauty center, you know, whatever. Like there's just a a twinkliness about it when you they're aiming campaign ads at women. And then when you watched both women and men, I spoke to men, too. They walked out of those campaign events for Warren wanting to talk to me about Elizabeth Warren explained redlining. Elizabeth Warren explained college debt and what it does to you. Elizabeth Warren explained the opioid crisis. They wanted to talk about these issues, and nobody has sat down and done the work of explaining how we got here. Were they on fire the way the women were, the men? The two men I talked to were on fire. They really liked her. And I think one of them, I I don't have my notebook, but he said, I liked her because she's sober and serious and we need seriousness in public officials. Hmm. And he, again, I think that there was, you know, there were certainly, and I put this in the piece, there were people who were fighting to say, no, she is super charismatic. But more people were just saying, she's a grown up and she respects me enough to talk to me about grown-up things like I'm a grown-up and like we could be on a team. And contrast it to what you're seeing at Trump rallies, right, which is people who come out and they're full of feelings and they've been chanting lock her up. I don't think I even fully understand the sort of chemical brain science of what happens. But what I can say is, do they walk out with a deep understanding of pharmaceutical policy? No. For two and a half years, I have been listening to progressives say, where are the grownups? Where are my grownups, right? Where is Eric Holder? Where is Barack Obama? I need someone to tell me what to do. And then for, you know, <laughs> two years, we were like, oh, Bob Mueller's our grownup. Like, he'll take care of us. And I think that there's a weird way in which Elizabeth Warren really is a grownup. I mean, she is a grownup. But she's also saying to the people in her audience and the people who are coming to her campaign events, we all need to be the grownups in a way. And I'm going to give you the information so that we can do this work together. Yeah. No, I think that's the single most important through line for me is that she's not saying I alone can fix it. 
She's not saying, you know, you go shopping and I've got this. What she's saying is, I am going to explain to you what would have to happen for us to get, you know, oligarchs and big money to not profoundly shape the way everything works here. And then you're going to have to help me do it. I remember I kept going back to Obama saying sort of be the the change you want to see in the world, right? And talking about hope. It's not even that. It's deeper than that. It's roll up your damn sleeves and and go to work with me. And we've been waiting for a grown-up for two and a half years to save us. And maybe to see that you actually have power at this moment is really the profound thing. You talk in the piece about this great man idea of government, that like there's going to be one great man. And I loved that because it gets to sort of the framework I think all of us have been taught to have, whether you're going to a church or whether you're going to the voting booth. You've been taught that you're pulling the lever or doing whatever because this one person is going to be there for you and take care of it. And you talk about how Elizabeth Warren is sort of upending that idea with this teaching method that she has of talking to the people who might vote for her. Do you think Elizabeth Warren herself sees it that way? I don't know. I want to I want to find out. Um, I, I will I will try to get an answer to that. I mean, I do think, you know, that great man piece was um, a reference to something that Rebecca Solnit had written just about how America has always been in love with the lone cowboy, like walking off into the sunset, having saved the town. Like that's just a mode that we are so comfortable with and all the ways in which in her mind, which she was watching, particularly in the climate change movement and particularly among young people, is that there isn't a great man. (laughs) There's hundreds of nameless people who are doing the work and they get that, this generation coming up gets it. And in some ways, we saw that in the Parkland kids, you know, like Mm. you could try to fall in love with Emma Gonzalez, but then she would just turn around and say, oh, no, you know, look at all these other people. And they were deliberately stepping out of that. I alone can fix it. And into this, we're all working all the time. We're all exhausted. When one of us gets tired, they step back, someone else steps in. And in fact, I had, I interviewed Emma Gonzalez and she has said essentially that. She said, we like being this big pack Uh, Because nobody gets to be the guy. I think what Solnit was saying was that that destabilization of the idea that you just fall in love with a hero and they save the day and that that got us Donald Trump in some ways, right? That passive, I don't have to do anything other than adore and revere this person and trust them implicitly no matter what happens because they are the hero, And I think to back out of that model into a model where, you know, at at one level, this sounds perfectly obvious, but I think that we were very, very passive, uh, at least in my lifetime, including Obama, including the absolute adulation and adoration. And that ever since I read that piece that Rebecca Solnit wrote, I remember thinking, I'll never be able to go to a campaign event again and walk away having that, like, I have chills, but I can't remember anything they said. I don't Hmm. remember one thing they said. And that's never going to happen again because policy matters. And and whether this is going to be salient for, you know, millions of Americans who, you know, just want to be mollified and coddled and told that everything is going to be okay, I don't know. I I mean, that's the question. (laughs) You know, earlier you brought up Bill Clinton, and I was glad that you did, because you're right that he in some ways did what Elizabeth Warren 
is doing in that he went to people and tried to explain things. I still remember when, you know, he went to, I think, some factory workers and said, listen, I'm not going to be able to save this job. Here's how this is going to have to work. And I remember when he formed a whole commission to look at immigration and come up with the best solution. But I also remember that a lot of those efforts were blocked by politics. And so I wonder, as you look at Elizabeth Warren, who is doing tremendous teaching and explaining, is it enough? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And one of the things I would love to hear Warren and all the other uh, candidates talking about is what their plans are for the judiciary and the fact that you know, President Trump has now seated a fifth of uh, the federal appeals courts and I think 13 percent of the lower courts. And they're going to block whatever mm-hmm. uh, putative President Warren or Buttigieg or uh, Booker does. And just to acknowledge what Obama learned the hard way, which is you can have all the good policies in the world. You can even have the Senate and you can see your you know signature achievement. Here we are years later, we're about to hear whether it's going to be dismantled uh, in a court in the next month. So I think that that matters. And it's something that none of the Democratic nominees have talked about on the stump. I do think that this spade work she's doing that you're describing Clinton having done of educating people, that's really useful spade work. I almost want to say it's an end in itself, Mary, even if Right now, it seems fanciful in the extreme to think that a President Warren could have a Senate and could have courts and this all gets blessed and ratified. It's going to be a slog. But I think smart electorate in and of itself, okay. You talk to a lot of women who said, we don't need charm. Like, we're okay if if our candidate isn't charming and we want Warren. Do you really believe those women? You know, it's complicated. And I I started this piece wanting to talk to women. And, you know, the minute it went up, there were all these men saying, like, why don't you know men? (laughs) (laughs) Nobody cares what men think. And I was like, well, you know, that was that was the sort of generative idea of the piece. And that's where it went. And I I promise I will write a piece about men and Elizabeth Warren. Um, Now I have to do it. But um, (laughs) but Women are not monolithic. And this model that I'm describing of it takes a village, we're all working all the time, is actually like how African-American women have been doing the work in America for hundreds of years. So that there is a real divide between white women and and black women, I have noticed. And I've noticed it even in this reporting that African-American women are much more comfortable with this model that is not the great man model, you know, the antithesis. It's that we're all working all the time and we're educating ourselves and we're educating others. That's very much how change happens in African-American communities and how it's happened for a long time. And so... And Black women know the downsides of that maybe better than anyone. Of the great man model? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so it was interesting. There was a bit of a, a sort of racial divide when I talked to people because I think a lot of white women are struggling to convince themselves that this is charming in there or that this is charisma. But I think I did certainly talk to a couple of women who tried to persuade me 
no, she's really funny. Like Elizabeth Warren is really funny. <laughs> and I was like, OK, I like you must have missed those bits. I thought she was much better in the Q&A's. Like when she does a big Q&A, some of her unscripted lines are, are, are very funny. But I just don't think... I was persuaded, except, oh, let me, one caveat, she does this thing where she meets, like, young girls, and she, like, says to them, this is your story, too, and she shakes their hands, and she takes a million pictures, and the the little girls are just swoony, and the moms who see that are swoony. I think that she, at every stop, is at pains to tell the little girls in particular, or, like, the teenage girls, like, you have a lane in this conversation, and you're going to be a part of this. And I think that is very, very moving. Again, because their mothers watched Hillary Clinton get shellacked for things that were not her fault. And so I think that is a place where uh, she's very deftly um, kind of connecting. So every day when I saw a little girl, I would come up and I'd usually get down. I'm a teacher. And I would say, hi, my name is Elizabeth, and I'm running for Senate because that's what girls do. Can I just flag something? Which is, as you're talking, I hear you saying a couple things at the same time, which is you're talking about how you heard Elizabeth Warren speak and were like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. She could be president. And then you're also expressing this profound doubt about her as a campaigner. Tell me a little bit about your evolution here. Yeah, I mean, I think I started from a place of doubt. I mean, before before 2016, when I heard her speak, yes, there's no doubt. I thought Hillary will be president and then Warren will be president and then Kamala. And, then you know, like this is going to be uh, <laughs> matriarchy's coming and, and we're going to let some guy be president. But, you know, only because we, we want to. Uh, I, I mean, I think that that is where I started on this. So it's it's hard for me to say if we built a, a woman in an underground lab out of like puppies and unicorns and cotton candy, I still think we might not elect her because. We're awful you know, right now about women. And that is where Susan Matthews just kept pushing and saying, what is the thing that you need her to do on the stump that persuades you that she is perfectly electable? And how gendered is it? Because, Mary, I don't know what it looks like. I just don't know what it looks like to build a woman who is, quote unquote, electable or, quote unquote, charismatic, given how narrow the aperture is and given that we have a history of zero. <laughs> Dahlia Lithwick, thank you so much for coming in. My pleasure, always. Dahlia Lithwick writes for Slate about the law and the courts. All right, that's the show. What Next is hosted by me, Mary Harris, and produced by Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, and Ethan Brooks. If you've got thoughts, feelings, 10,000-word treatises, okay, maybe like 240-character treatises, tweet at me. I'm at Mary's desk. Thanks for listening. Talk to you tomorrow. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.